Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. TCL is a proud sponsor of the 1500 ESPN Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Minnesota Vikings. The NFL. Football, yeah, football. Welcome to Purple Podcast. Hello, welcome to the post-Minnesota Vikings New England Patriots Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar, along with Judd Zolgad. And Judd, are you exhausted from a very, very busy Vent line where angry Vikings fans called in to vent their frustrations with the 24 to 10 loss. Uh, 22 calls in all an hour and 20 minutes of conversation about what happened uh, in Foxborough today, Matthew Collar, and none of it positive and a lot of it still talking about something. And this is the incredible thing. A lot of it still focused on something that we brought up in what June, July, May, perhaps, which was. How can the offensive line be so bad? And I tell people, we told them this during the draft. We told them this all summer. We told them this all training camp. And unfortunately, our first guess was right. And the Vikings have partially been bit in the butt by the fact that the offensive line was not addressed. And that has caused problems from day one of the 2018 season. So I think where my focus was more than the offensive line, and I know that Kirk Cousins took a few key sacks, but... You know, for me, it was more on the game plan that was not really carried over so much from what they did against Green Bay. I mean, after that Green Bay game, I thought it really looks to me like they've found a formula that could work for them. And they were doing a lot of similar things to what Pat Shermer had dialed up. And Mike Zimmer seemed very pleased last week about all the things that they had changed and sort of semi gave himself credit for implementing those changes but today we kind of saw the same old stuff. And then, you know, they do something they haven't done all year, get an explosive running game going, but get away from that running game for most of the second half. And, you know, yep. I, I think that the pressure now is once again back on John D. Filippo after this game. Uh, it definitely is now here. But but there was a postgame comment I saw tweeted, and I have not heard the context yet, Matthew, that rubbed me very wrong. Somebody asked about the, once again, asked Zim about the run-to-pass ratio and if he was happy with how the offense was called, and he essentially said that he was not. At this point, this is on him. When when you go public with your complaints, which Zim did the week before the Packers game, and then you sit down with the 
Filippo and meet with him, which I think he did on a few occasions that week. And then you meet with Cousins and you sit down and basically say, this is my expectation. I'm the head coach. This is, is what I want. That's not a one-week thing. That needs to be followed through. So the game plan today did confuse me. I didn't get it. When Dalvin Cook got the ball, he looked good. But this is now this is now not just on flip. This is on flip and the head coach who needs to be involved. And Mike Zimmer does needs to do a better job of articulating and making sure that what he wants is is understood at this point. So for him to be surprised, uh, I don't think that that's an excuse. This is his team. It's his season, and it's a season that, in some ways, unfortunately, is very much slipping away. So this was not a one-game fix. This needs to be a fix that is consistently done, and Mike needs to be involved on a weekly basis now. And it might not be in games because he's obviously calling the defenses and things like that, but nothing that happens with Kirk Cousins, this offense, and the offensive coordinator should catch the head coach by surprise when we're into December. Well, you know, another part of this too, Judd, is, and I, and I agree everything that you said, that once Zimmer started to make it clear that he was taking over parts of the offense, he can't really circle back and once again pin it on Filippo for not liking the run pass ratio. And he does have a point though. I mean, they, they did yeah. go, they did go away from the run in a lot of instances and got Kirk Cousins sacked or put themselves in third down and long. And it's no surprise that when you go, three for 12 or whatever they were uh, against the New York Jets a few weeks ago and you get away with it. But when you go three for 12 against the Patriots on third down, you do not get away with it because eventually Tom Brady, who gave them plenty of chances, I thought in this game, uh, but eventually Tom Brady and that offense and Josh Gordon and the weapons they have are going to come through But this third down and long thing has been a problem for them pretty much all season that they've had way too many situations where it was third and long, and then they can't use things like little quick passes to Kyle Rudolph. They got the one first down on a third and, and fairly short, but you can't really do that when you're looking at third and 10 or third and 15, third and 17 happen. But, uh, you know, I would also say, though, Judd, that every time my Twitter mentions start to fill up with people saying, ha, Kirk Cousins has proved you guys wrong. See, why were you guys so critical? Why were you guys so critical of him, huh? And, well, still over when it comes to beating winning teams. And, look, I mean, Cousins at, at this, this season has at times been absolutely spectacular for stretches in games. And yep. he was even for a stretch in this game where he drives them quickly down the field, no huddle, and you're thinking, okay, well, if they can carry that over, they're going to win this game because the Patriots really aren't playing that well. And then in the second half, we get so many classic Cousins things. He doesn't have to take a shot into double coverage down two touchdowns, but he just does it anyway, and it turns into an interception. There were some sacks that he probably didn't need to take where he could have checked it down instead. There was a third down where he throws a slant to Laquan Treadwell. And I know that they got schemed into that, but still, like anyone but Laquan Treadwell on a slant on third and 17. So, yep. you know, there were, I, I think that this, what, what we should come to the conclusion is the offensive issues are really a group effort between the head coach, the offensive coordinator, and the quarterback and the offensive line all collectively not doing enough. And if one of those, if it's either the quarterback, the offensive coordinator, if, if, if someone doesn't step this up, 
then they are not going to go anywhere if they reach the playoffs. And I'm not saying when, I'm having to say if, because if they lose next week, I just looked up the odds, they go down to like 40%, and it could be as low as under 30% if things don't go their way next week. So as of right now, Washington plays um, tomorrow night against Philadelphia in uh, Monday Night Football, Matthew Collar. But as of right now, the five seed is is Seattle, who you play a week from Monday, who, by the way, is playing great. I thought that they were going to be a complete dumpster fire, and they're playing they're playing really solid football. They drilled San Francisco today, and Russell Wilson is still one of the best QBs in the game. Your sixth seed right now going into the game tomorrow night is Washington, and the Vikings are the seventh seed, which, of course, is the first seed to be out of the playoffs. And so we can talk all we want about, well, the Bears – did you a big favor today because they lost to the Giants or Carolina, which I believe has now lost four consecutive games and is six and six is reeling. But you know what? If Seattle and Washington continue to win, you're basically done. You're in trouble. The game against Seattle next Monday night in Seattle, which is a incredibly difficult place to play now, is a enormous game. But the offensive thing, okay, I'm going to throw in an addition to the equation, and I agree with what you said about how the offense is operating and the problems right now, Matthew Collar, but I'm going to throw in an additional piece to the equation as part of the problem. Kirk Cousins is playing scared, and I don't just mean he's seeing ghosts. I mean, I think he was, I think the week of the Packer game, they sat him down and said, Kirk, you can't make mistakes. And he can't. I agree with that. But you know what? You can see him thinking, 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 and it's going to become or, or has become a problem. And evidence of that to me was the drive at the end of the first half where he didn't have time to think and was actually very good again, right? But think about the rest of that game against the Patriots and think about how many times you could see him trying to process things and not make mistakes and not make dumb throws or not fumble when he was being hit, things like that. So I just think that this offense has gone sideways and it's a big, big problem. And I guess my I guess my question is against good teams, how do you get it back? Because I don't think that you could just go and say, well, yeah, Kirk, go back to sort of being who you you were and flip call plays like this. So if I'm the Vikings, my fear is my season is now very much on the line or the brink. And offensively, I don't know that you can fix this thing playing good teams. And Seattle now has definitely moved into the echelon of being a good team. Yeah, yeah, that's and that's the thing, right, is can they find some of those things on a consistent basis that they did against the Packers? But now the win against the Packers, I mean, it looked okay last week. I mean, it looked really good last week, actually, because it was kind of a winner stays in the playoff race and it was to keep the season alive, and they and they did a great job, and they put up a ton of yards, didn't always finish drives, which has been a big problem for this team, but moved the ball consistently and threw to Rudolph and threw to Delvin Cook and found some different ways to get Delvin Cook the ball. But, you know, the thing that is always the elephant in the room is that Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen have to carry this offense, and if any team takes away either one of them, it's pretty much over for you. And we saw that today. I mean, Diggs ends up with five catches. He's playing injured and 49 yards, not a whole lot there. And Adam Thielen, five catches on 10 targets, 5.6 yards per catch, and he did have the one touchdown. And that was the thing that they talked about all week was 
with Bill Belichick, what he does best is he takes away your best players, and if someone finds a way to take away Adam Thielen in this offense, they just don't have an offense. And when you look forward, well, Seattle, they can do things like that, but they're also uh, playing offensively extremely well. Their offensive line has been fixed, and they run the ball really well, so they're not going to give you a ton of chances, and you're going to have to score points against them on the road to win. So, you know, I think where we land, Judd, is that this offense has shown that they're capable of explosiveness, but yep. on, a, on a consistent basis, not at all. In any game that you go into, you figure, well, they could get shut down today. It feels to me now that, that we've seen this, uh, this offense try and operate for the good portion of a 16-game season, Matthew Collar. It feels to me like the pieces just don't fit, and that's a huge problem. It feels to me like... Because Delvin Cook, Delvin Cook now, I, I think the hamstring is fine at this point, correct? And Delvin Cook had some great runs today, including one that went for uh, 32 yards in the first half. And Delvin Cook, when Delvin Cook's effective, is a hell of a player. But it just seems like far too often he gets used, he gets used, and then he doesn't. And I will also make another statement to you uh, that that is a enormous difference in my mind, and it's probably subtle, but it's enormous between what Pat Shermer did a year ago when he had what I consider to be one of the best uh, play calling seasons that a Vikings OC has had in the time that I've watched this team, which started in 1978. And it's going to be a small thing, but I think it's a big thing. This offensive scheme now, and, and DeFilippo has no idea how to use Latavius Murray, which people are going to laugh and be like, well, who cares? But do you remember the, the ways that he was used in, in 2017 and how effective he could be at times and how there were moments and times when he became an instrumental part of this offense, especially after Cook hurt his knee. And it's as if Latavius Murray is now a non-factor. In fact, today he had what? He had four carries for a grand total of 11 yards, which is 2.8 yards per carry. Uh, he caught two passes for three yards. It's just things like that. It feels like the puzzle of this offense and the key components do not fit. I mean, I would argue that both running backs have not been used properly for the better part of the season. And one of the reasons is now they figured it out a little later in the game today to run Delvin Cook to the outside. But don't you just sit there and wonder where that's been with running Delvin Cook to the outside? Last year, they designed their running scheme around him and then had to change things around uh, when Latavia, or when uh, Delvin Cook got hurt and Latavius Murray took over. They changed to more of a power scheme. But this year, they've just been running mostly power stuff with Cook until this game they started to use him a little more outside. But 22 yards catching on 10 targets. For Delvin Cook, Judd, that is 2.2 yards per target for one of the most explosive players, I think, in the entire NFL. And last week, we see a swing screen play that turns into a touchdown to Delvin Cook. Now, mm-hmm. I am uh, not a professional offensive coordinator, Judd, but I think I'm qualified enough. Play one here at 1500 I, I sure do. I think, I think I've seen enough sports to say, do it again. Like, throw that screen again. It worked against the Lions. It worked for a touchdown against the Packers. And I saw no screen game whatsoever on this day. And Delvin Cook ends up being completely ineffective. I got a theory about that for you. Because the bad teams are uncreative and give you things, right? It's almost as if the Vikings and DeFilippo offensively say, well, now we're playing the Patriots. And the Patriots are, you know, they're very smart team. They're very good, which we all get and all know. Or like the Bears defense. It's as if the Vikings abandon the common sense plays against those teams because they feel like they're not being 
given those plays. My comeback is, of course you're not being given those plays. You're playing good teams. You still have to try and do them. Because why else was the screen game, which should be a huge part of this offense every week, why is the screen game abandoned against the Bears? Why does today happen, and now we're back to square one of saying, what are you doing? I think it's as if this offense looks at teams that are good and says, well, if you're not going to give us that, we're going we're gonna to try and take this. Instead of saying our identity is this, and come hell or high water, we're going to execute th- those things. And if we don't, at least we're going to go down trying to do that. So last week we talked about just going through the list of things that I wrote about and we talked about on the podcast that worked. The screen game, there wasn't any. Uh, Rudolph, there was one play at the end of the second half. It was a great catch by Rudolph. And then another one on a third down is another very nice catch for a first down. That was it for Kyle Rudolph. He ended with three catches. Okay. Yep. Yep. He's been an extremely successful offensive weapon for them, catching over 80% of his targets, averaging eight yards per target. He gets three catches today. How many bootleg rollouts, nakeds, whatever you want to call them, play actions, did we see from this team, Judd? I can't remember seeing Kirk Cousins roll out on a bootleg at all today, which I understand that all of this is being schemed. I get that. And I know that the Patriots were scheming certain things to take certain things away. But like you're saying, I mean, this is what you do best. Is Kirk Cousins is tremendous when you can roll him out of the play action uh, and the bootleg. He's just so good at it. And this is something he was good at in Washington, and he's been good at it here. And yet it just is non-existent here against this team. And also, you know what? Even if it's a passing situation, you can run play action and it can work. I see the Rams do it of all the time. Of course you can. I see yeah. the Rams do it all the time. That yeah. it doesn't, it, it, it's a, just a different kind of play. And teams will still react the same way to it. And it just baffles me, some of this stuff. So when we talk about this, it's like you found the answers to the to the test, and then you threw them in the trash the next week. But what drives me crazy, though, is it's, it's, if it's because, oh, we're playing this team, and they're not going to give us that. Well, of course they're not. They're a good team. Like, you can't play the Packers and Lions every week. Right. So do, so do what you do well, and at least then if you fail, you still have an identity. What's the identity right now? You tell me. What's the identity? Oh, well, there isn't one. No, it's been. I mean, they want to be the Rams. It has, I mean, no. I, I mean that. Oh, okay, I got a real quick aside. When Troy Aikman on the broadcast today oh. compared uh, John D. Filippo to Sean McVay, I almost jumped out my window. But it's a first floor window, and it wouldn't have made any difference. But I mean, are you are you out of your mind? Like we haven't seen anything like that from this team. We haven't seen anything like the level of creativity and success. And I mean, part of that is that the Rams have a great offensive line, but it's also they consistently find Todd Gurley ways in the passing game to get 10 yards a catch. And when Delvin Cook comes away with 22 yards on 10 targets, it's just unacceptable. I don't care who you're playing. This Patriots team is pretty good. The defense is not even as good as the Chicago Bears and not even close. And yet... And yet, there's times where their protections aren't right, and that's been an issue all season. It hasn't just been offensive linemen getting beat. It's also been protection issues, too, like guys running free and things like that. And you know what? Here's what happens, too. When you completely can't run the football, Bill Belichick was basically laughing at the Vikings. Like, if you want to run, you go ahead because we're going to have guys standing up. And Kirk Cousins said after the game they weren't showing a lot of the their coverages before the snap, that's where Kirk Cousins is so good, when he can read co- coverages before the snap. And Belichick, obviously, knowing his players, knowing who he's going against, 
was able to use that to his advantage, especially when they got down. The New England Patriots gave the Vikings every chance to get back in and subsequently win this game. And the Vikings looked at it and said, no thanks. That's what's got to drive you crazy. This was not, this never to me had the feeling. I never felt like the Vikings were going to win because I, I feel like the 2018 Vikings can't capitalize collar. But that being said, I looked at several chances in this game and said, if the New England Patriots are allowing the Vikings to stay in this game and ultimately if they really wanted to win this game. Okay, explain this to, to me. I've got a play for you in particular, though. And this is a fireball offense. Explain it to me and help me out. Fourth and 11 from the New England 48 with 6.15 left in the game. Fourth and 11, okay? You not only, from shotgun, Cousins not only passes it to Treadwell, which is a bad idea to begin with, but it's a four-yard completion. And even if we, even if Matthew Collar and Judd Golgan ran the Laquan Treadwell fan club, were completely blindly in love with this guy and, and said, and said, I'm going to defend Laquan at every turn. Both of us know and everybody knows and the Patriots know the one thing he can't really do is make a play. He's not fast enough. So if you're going to go to him on fourth and 11, it better damn well be a yard past the six. How do you end up with a four yard completion? And, and he was immediately tackled. No surprise there, but it's plays like that where I look as a fan or in our business and say, that's just stupid. Yeah, there's a few things on that play. I mean, number one, they don't protect uh, on the play correctly, or they just sent one more guy than the protection. I would have to go back and look at it. Don't have that option right now of looking at the coach's tape. But um, So the guy comes free, and Cousins, knowing what his hot route is, goes right to his hot route. But this is, I mean, this is Cousins for you, right? Like, he doesn't have a mobility. He doesn't have an escape ability where his his first thing to do is to do exactly what he's been trained for his entire life, which is got to go to the hot route. He doesn't think about, well, that's Laquan Treadwell, so it doesn't matter. Or let me dodge this tackler to find four more seconds in the pocket so I can roll around and find somebody. That's just not who Kirk Cousins is. And Bill Belichick clearly knew that. I mean, they were able to get pressure on him, and he doesn't move too inches in the pocket. And this is a thing that you have to work with. And this is where I, I blame DeFilippo for this more than Kirk Cousins is you have to move him. You have to get him moving because right. he's so good at throwing on the run, but he's just not that type of guy who's going to roll around dodge tacklers or anything like that. And, you know, once again, Cousins doesn't do any running for himself either, which I like to see. I mean, last week against the Packers, uh, Mike Zimmer went to him and said, I want to see you run when you get a chance. And there wasn't any of that either. So they basically abandoned everything that they had done properly the week before against the Patriots. And I, I mean, you do have to give the Patriots credit for it, but you also have to say the same thing that we said against the bears, where what, what happened here with the game plan? Because there were times earlier this season where we had this same sort of thing, Judd, it was like against San Francisco. There's moments where the game plan is great. And the fourth quarter against the Packers in week two, the game plan is great, but there have been far too many stretches where it's just common sense type of stuff like you're talking about. There, Under no circumstance should you throw a slant to Laquan Treadwell on fourth and 11. You'd almost rather get sacked. It's just so you'd rather try to run away, throw on the run or anything in the direction of Adam Thielen or Stephon Diggs rather than Laquan Treadwell. Yeah, it was just that play in particular. I'm, you know, because this game, this game was tough, but this game to me had opportunity, and and offensively at least there were far too many times where where 
Cousins, this offense, he, Filippo looked at the opportunity and we're like, ah, I don't don't know. And it, this, this season just becomes so frustrating to watch because this team, I mean, I'll go back to, to what I wrote a couple weeks ago. This, I can't put into context how big a bust and disappointment this season is going to potentially be. If this team doesn't make the playoffs, this was this was not a team built for a nice run. This was a team that you thought was built for a Super Bowl. And there were some things that certainly frustrated you about how they went about their business in the off season. But there were also things where you said, this team's supposed to be really, really good. And to be sitting here now on what, December 2nd, is that correct? Or December 3rd? And to be talking about the fact that this team has yet to be a winning team in 2018 is inexcusable. It is. And the Patriots are a good team. They're a nice team. This is not the... You know, 2007, damn near unbeatable till the Super Bowl Patriots. And to watch this game unfold and to watch this defense, it wasn't great, but it did some really, really nice things. And it, it's just, it's incredibly maddening and frustrating to be talking about things that once again, you see them unfold in this game and say, that just makes no sense. Well, right, and I thought that the defense started off very poorly, but then again, the Patriots used everything that other teams have used to be successful against the Vikings. They used jet or rocket sweeps with Cordero Patterson. They used a lot of quick passes, little flat routes and things like that. But then the Vikings defense adjusted, and despite having Marcus Sherrills and Holton Hill as your cornerbacks at yeah. one point, I mean, the, the fact that they were in the game 10-10 in the second half is pretty remarkable considering that neither of their starting corners were healthy and Xavier Rhodes was having to play injured on every other drive. And yet they still did a lot of good things. And they, after giving up four out of the first five third downs, and some of them were just like third and ones or whatever, but they stopped them for the most part after that. And they went something like uh, the three for eight or something after that. It, w it wasn't that great after that. They got the ball back. They got chances and they got an interception even to keep the game alive. Like, they did what they needed to do to give them a chance, and about as best as you can hope against a New England Patriots team in Foxborough. And like you said, they didn't take advantage of any of the opportunities. And that has been the theme across all of these games against winning teams is the Bears left the door open for them a bunch absolutely. of a bunch of different times. The, the Rams did, yeah, Matthew. Absolutely the Rams did. And yet... They have not been able to kick the door open and win one of these games. And you know, Judd, I don't think that any of us looked at this schedule and thought, who 14 and two Vikings. We all said, Hey, 10 and six, it's going to be tougher than you think this year because of this schedule. But I don't think any of us thought zero wins against winning teams at this point in the year. No way, no way, no way. And, and if you, you recall when we made our preseason predictions as well, we assumed that the conference was going to be off the charts tough. It's good. It's not. It's not off the charts. This is this is a conference that's got the Rams, the Saints, who surprised me on Thursday night when they lost to Dallas for sure. But the Saints are very, very good. But the rest of this conference, I thought it was going to be killer. I thought the Packers would be really good. They're not. So there, there are opportunities in this conference. And the fact is, as we do this podcast right now, we're not talking about, well, it's disappointing, but the Vikings are a five team. We're talking about a team that if Washington beats Philadelphia on Monday night is going to be squarely out of the playoff picture. That's it. And, and we've got what, five games left? Yeah. And you play the Seahawks a week from Monday, which is going to be incredibly tough. That's a big, big deal. This is, this is shaping up to be a 
huge disappointment and bust. So let me ask you one more thing, Judd, here, because we've we've kind of, I think, touched on all the, the key points of what happened today. But I got one more thing, but yes. Is it, the, is it the kicker? Are you going to? We got to talk about special teams. Uh, yes. Okay. All right. I, now, I don't know what to tell you. Um, Daniel Carlson hit a 50 yarder today for the, uh, Oakland Raiders. So I know what to tell you. His special teams player of the week a few weeks ago, Daniel I Carlson. Tell you. I, I know exactly what to tell you. Mike Prefer has to go. You can't do this anymore. Like it, at first it was all Blair Walsh, right? It's all Blair Walsh's fault. Blair Walsh is a mental mess. Okay. Blair Walsh's fault. Blair Walsh is gone. Four back. He doesn't make enough PPATs. The fact that they didn't stick with Forbath is ridiculous. But let's just say that they were afraid that Kai Forbath had become a liability on point after attempts because they're longer now, and that had become a mental issue for, for him. So that's mental issue number two. And you draft Daniel Carlson. He's a mental mess, except for what you just said. Now he's the AFC Special Teams Player of the Week in Oakland. He's making a 50-yard field goal. And now you're to Dan Bailey, who when you signed him, if I'm not mistaken, Matthew Collar was the most accurate kicker in the history of the damn league. And he's a mess. This is this is this has to come down to the special teams coordinator, and I don't know if Zim's involved too. But I'm not going to fire the head coach for this. But I damn sure I'm going to look at making a change in special teams coordinators. I can't keep going through kickers like this and just trying to always fault the kicker. Yeah, well, I guess the way I look at it is, I I know that they have chased their tail here. I just don't know what they're supposed to do. I mean, the the process of cutting four bath for a rookie who's never kicked in the NFL before. I didn't like that. We never liked that. We talked about drafting a kicker, how it's just not a great idea and how four bath. Well, not amazing was proven, especially on field goals. And, and I thought, okay, the guy can probably improve his point after kicks, but uh, 89% over the two years, though, I would say that no one has signed Kai Forbath since. So maybe the league sees something in Kai Forbath that we don't. I saw him make a 52 yard field goal in a playoff game to potentially win. So I think that he should have probably just been the kicker all along that the process of letting go Daniel Carlson. I think everyone understood why they did that right there because it seemed like he just couldn't handle the pressure of a big game. Now he's playing for Oakland and they don't have big games. So there might be something there. With Dan Bailey, they were all thrilled to get the greatest kicker ever, but he hasn't been that recently. I mean, he got hurt last year. He got cut by the Cowboys, and they probably did that for a reason. And now you have a very flawed kicker here. And I think if they cut Dan Bailey, they're just signing someone else who's a very flawed kicker and for for some reason has a job. I'm assessing the blame on the special teams coach now. I'm sorry, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep, I can't fault, uh, you know, Walsh and then Forbath and then Carlson, and now Bailey. Uh, this is four people, four very different people at different stages in their kicking lives. At some point in time, I think you've got to say, all right, what's the problem here? And at some point, I think you have to come to the conclusion it's not always the kicker. I mean, the Carlson draft pick was a silly pick. I, I still say that. But Ryan Longwell came on the show after week two and basically insinuated that something might not be right with how the Vikings handle their kickers and the coaching. And Mike Prefer is the common guy who, who was there at the end for Ryan and is still there. And so I think I have to assess the blame on the coach at this point and say, because you can't, you can't keep seeing this. He missed a 48 yard field goal. They, that's, that's an eminently makeable field goal. I understand it's not a gimme. I, I get it's tough. But the special teams thing to me has run its course, and it's time to look in a different direction. I think part of it, well, Walsh influences everything. He influences how the 
organization reacts to their kickers, how they handle their kickers, how they decide to cut or keep or sign a kicker, I think. Um, that, that, that sort of still resonates with them. And even Zimmer, you know, pulling Carlson off the field to run a two point conversion in preseason after the kid missed. I mean, I think right there, that doesn't happen if Blair Walsh didn't shank a 27 yarder and Daniel Carlson has nothing to do with that. And so they thought, okay, this mentally strong veteran will come in who played at Dallas Cowboy Stadium for Jerry Jones. He's going to come in and do it, and yet it kind of looks like his best days of kicking are over. So I, I don't know what they're supposed to do now, and I, I mean, I don't know. Like letting go of the special teams coordinator, I I could not tell you what he's done as far as like punt returns, kick returns, the all, the design of these things. I mean, you see a lot of his players go from being good special teamers to contributors on offense and defense. I don't know what that says about him. It's just like kickoff returns don't mean anything. Every punt has a hold on it these days. It's just like, what am I supposed to think of this guy? I really have no idea because we have uh, almost nothing to assess them on anymore, except for whether their kickers make it. And I don't know, like, shouldn't these kickers be mentally strong enough, even if they're not handled properly to just kick it through the posts? I mean, I I just, I guess it's a, it's always going to be a squirrely thing, but you know what I think is a huge factor in all this Judd is that, the Vikings are consistently playing these close games that need field goals. And so we notice, we notice every single miss over the last couple of years under Zimmer. That's been the way they play. Uh, Yeah. But I mean, that's not going to change. And I'm fine with that. All I'm, all I'm saying is that I, I now have come to the conclusion that after this season is done, it's time to hit the reset button at that coaching position and see if that works. It's not, I mean, you're right. The, it's not as if the, the prefer that you say, well, he's so good in these three areas that the kicking is not as good as it should be, but that's okay. The kicking is basically the most important thing. It comes down to that. And I am, I am now of the mindset that if nothing else, I think once the 2018 season is done, you make a change there and maybe you can bring in somebody that can work with, with these guys. And who knows? They might be like goalies. They might be so mentally fragile that they need their own special guy who understands their plight and their life. And Prefer's not that guy. I, I don't know. All I know is I am sick of seeing field goals that should be made consistently missed. And it's no longer just one or two guys now. We're up to four guys, including the guy who they signed as the all-time leading percentage kicker in the history of the league. And now he's mentally screwed up. Okay, Judd. Uh, well, the wild ride continues, I guess. And every time someone lines up for a kick then uh, it's always going to be hold on to your butts. Uh, well, we go forward to Seattle. We're on to Seattle, Judd, and this season I think is mostly resting on that, uh, save for a couple other meltdowns from NFC teams. So we will see what we hear from the Vikings this week, what went wrong, what they plan on fixing. Uh, but, man, doesn't it feel to you, Judd, like this has been just the, the most up-and-down season where when they win, it's been really good, and it's been against bad teams, but they've been yep. really good in those games. And then when they lose, it seems yep. like everything that they that they could have done to win the game, they did not do. It's why I cautioned last week during the Purple Podcast after the Vikings beat the Packers. That was the first time I think this year I've said I almost have to slow myself down because post-game after they beat Detroit at U.S. Bank Stadium and after they beat the Packers, you're saying, well, the team played so well and offensively they did this. Or defensively, they did that, and the caution has to be, okay, but how are they going to do when they play 
against a really good team and potentially on the road? And the answer we always come back to, Collar, is what? Not that great. Not that well. You know, the Philadelphia win at one time looked like a really good win. and It looked like it might change the course of the season. And now we look back on that win and say, well, it's a nice win, but it came against what is mostly a down Philadelphia team. And so it's why it's why I think we're to the point it's very hard to get excited by the wins. If you had won today, it changes the scope, I believe. And perhaps if you win a week from Monday in Seattle, it changes things. But it's very difficult to get inspired or upbeat about this team, given the fact that when they get to playing good teams, they consistently play like they did today against the Patriots. Yep. If they had come away with a decisive win in New England, I think I would have been saying, all right, now that uh, New Orleans has shown a little flaw, the Rams are not perfect. They've gotten away with a lot of close wins. Um, I would have been saying, all right, that the gap is closed, but it clearly is not. So we will be back for the Purple Live show Tuesday night, 6 to 7. Make sure you listen to that. Also, a couple episodes coming up with Sage Rosenfels, as always, and various other guests. Thank you all for listening to the Purple Podcast. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com. Did you know Nissan EVs have traveled 8 billion miles? Just a quick trip to Pluto and back. And what did we learn along the way? Well, that an EV can take on the world, like the Nissan LEAF. It can move racing forward and take your breath away, like the all-new Nissan Aria. We learned to make EVs that electrify. 8 billion miles driven by LEAF owners globally since 2010. Aria not yet available for purchase. Expected availability late fall. Subject to change.